I was glad when they said, let's go to the house of the Lord, and we have gathered together today in the house of the Lord to begin this week of studies on being stronger together. That's going to be the theme that ties these lessons together this week. Today, we're going to talk about unity in the body of Christ. We just had a communion service, and Jerry very eloquently brought our minds to the crucifixion of Jesus, right? Did you think about that while he was talking? I mean, did your mind go there and you see that? You know, that didn't begin just at the moment when they drove the nails in his hands. That began a long time before. And really, the public recognition of that in Scripture for these guys who followed him around for two years. Now, you, you have to understand, they thought he was going to be a king like Caesar. They didn't get it. They didn't understand. And not very long before he died, in John chapter 17, we find recorded a prayer. Do you pray for people you love? Do you, you pray for your children, those of you who have kids? Do you pray for your kids? I do. I've prayed a lot for my kids. You know, there are pivotal moments in your life where prayer is not just... You're not tempted to do the, the prayer you've memorized and quoted all your life. You know what I'm talking about. That, you know, we thank Thee for this food and blah, 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 blah. The stuff that you always say. There are times in your life when, when you go to God... And you got something to say. You know, I see some heads shaking. You understand that. Especially if you've been through a time of crisis in your life. There are times when you, you get on your knees in front of God and you've got something to say. Well, I want to tell you, for Jesus, that's recorded in John 17. And if you haven't read that prayer as a whole, as a prayer, if you've just looked at verses, I encourage you, go read that prayer as a whole. But we're going to focus this morning on something specific Jesus said in that prayer because I believe that it was meaningful to Jesus. I believe it mattered to Him. Look at His words. I do not pray for these alone. Now, these alone are the disciples who are there with Him hearing this prayer. Okay, the guys we call the apostles. He says, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in Me through their words, that they may all be one as You, Father, are in Me and I in You, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that You sent Me. And the glory which You gave Me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and You in Me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that You've sent Me and have loved them as You have loved Me. Now Jesus says, I'm not praying just for these guys, but I'm praying for everyone who's going to believe on Me through their words. Okay, who is that? Right here, right now. It's us. 
And Jesus is praying. He said, Father, my prayer for these people is that they would be one, just like you and I are one, Father. If they can be one, the world will believe that I'm your son. I pray that they will be one. Is that what we have here in America, in the world? Do we have the oneness of Christians? Can you imagine the impact? I heard this morning they were talking about how values in America have changed and now 70% of adults in America approve of same-sex marriage. Can you believe that? 70%. I go, how did that change like that? It wasn't 70% when I was my son's age. What happened? Can you imagine the impact that we could have if everyone who claimed the name of Christ was united? Can you imagine the impact we'd have in the world? It'd be like nothing we've ever seen. But the reality is, you and I cannot affect the unity of the world, right? I mean, we can't affect the unity of Christians all over the world directly. You know what we can affect, though, is unity here. Unity in this congregation of the body of Christ. And I want to talk about that just a little bit this morning. What does unity look like? When we say being united, what do we mean by that? When we say we're stronger together and we're going to stand together, what does that mean? Well, I believe biblically it means a few things that I want to talk with you about. Number one, it's not uniformity. You know, all those nails in that picture are uniform. They're the same. Every one of those nails. Is that unity right there? It's just a pile. There's no unity in that. Other than you go, well, they're just in one pile. (laughs) If that's unity, that's not unity. And the idea in Scripture behind us being one is not that the Apostle Paul is to be exactly like the Apostle Peter and you can't tell them apart. That's not the idea behind that. It's not uniformity that we all need to dress the same and look the same and speak the same and act the same and have all the same preferences. That's not the idea. The idea behind uniformity is unity. Now, I've used a picture of a puzzle for a purpose. Every piece is different. Every piece is unique. But those pieces all join together to present one picture of whatever the puzzle is, right? That's the idea of unity in a body of believers, in a body of Christians. I want you to look at this in Scripture. He calls us the body of Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And he gives a whole description of us as a body. And he says this, he says, Is everyone an ear? Is everyone a foot? Is everyone... A heart? Is everyone all the... No. In your body, you know, I've got a body that's made up of all different parts, right? If I was just a great big ear up here in front of you, (laughs) you wouldn't get a lot of edification out of that, would you? Ears don't talk. You wouldn't get anything out of that. But I'm an entire body, you see. I've got fingers and toes and a mouth and a nose and all the different parts of my body function together as one body. 
And so when you see me, when you saw me come in the door today, you say, oh, Michael's here, right? How did you know? Now, if I'd have just stuck one finger around the edge of the door frame, <laughs> would you say, oh, there's Michael? You might have, because he's weird, right? <laughs> you wouldn't have thought that. You say, that's Michael. When you see me, a body, all the pieces united together as one, we function as one body. Not that every piece is identical. You'll have different things you need to do for the Lord than you do. But yet we all work together as one family, one body in Christ. Now, I want to show you a few things the Bible says about a united family. Number one, a united family is united in mind. And this, this phrase, be of the same mind, that's over and over in Scripture. We're not going to use all the passages, but I want to share this one with you. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. God says for His family, His body, He wants us to be of one mind, okay? Now, I was raised in Oklahoma, and I grew up being an Oklahoma Sooner football fan, okay? That's just the way I am. You can like it or not, okay? I see some heads shaking the other way. Now, now listen, brother. You shook your head. No, it says be of one mind. You better agree with me. Is that what one mind means? That you've got to agree with me about everything? Really? Of course not. We know better than that. In fact, my wife went to OSU. <laughs> We're not of one mind about that in my house. My son doesn't even care about football. <laughs> well, what does one mind mean then? It means what the rest of that says. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble and don't be wise in your own opinion. Be of one mind toward one another means I think the same way about you that you think about me. That I don't lift myself up over you. I don't look at you and go, well, but I think of you the way Scripture teaches me to think of you. I consider you better than me. I'm more concerned about meeting your needs than I am about meeting my needs. I'm more concerned about lifting you up than I am about lifting me up. I'm more concerned that you get a piece of that at church dinner than I am that I get a piece of it at church dinner. That's what that means, to be of one mind. Now, can you imagine how wonderful it all it would be if we were always all that way? Now... I prayed that I would speak the truth with boldness and, you know, and here's the bold truth. Y'all aren't always that way, are you? You're not. I know better than that. I've been here enough. I know better than that. But the truth is, that's the way God wants us to be. That's what unity looks like. But it's not just being the same mind. Part of being the same mind is being united in love. Look at this. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interest of others. Why? 
because I love you and you love me because of love. Love should be the characteristic of Christianity. Love should be the thing that draws the world to us because they see that and they want to be a part of that. They want to have that. Now, I want to apologize to you right now because throughout this week, I'm probably going to use as an illustration over and over the crisis that our family has just gone through. Okay? It's really hard for me not to use that as an illustration for everything right now. And so I'll use it over and over. But I want to tell you what we went through when Jacob was hurt in that crash. Some people do it by themselves. I mean, some people have no family. They're estranged from their physical family. They have no church family. They have no nothing. And I want to tell you that was a horrific thing to go through. But Carrie and I and Jacob, although for a while he didn't know it, we were lifted up on the shoulders of people who love us. We were lifted up by you right here. You know why? Because you love us. We know that. That Did you hear Ty's voice break when he thanked God for Jacob being here today? You know why? Because he loves Jacob and he loves us. That's characteristic of Christianity. And if you don't have that, something's missing and you will never, ever have the unity that Jesus prayed for His people to have. We're not only united in this love, but it's affectionate kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor giving preference to one another. I've known people in the church who were not friendly and they were not nice, but they would, well, I'm supposed to love you, so I'll let you go first. Go right ahead. That's not love. Love is not just the robotic, okay, this is what I do. No, love is caring about you. Love is being touched by your, your sorrows. It's weeping with you when you weep, and it's rejoicing when you rejoice. That's what love is. And it should be characteristic of us. We're united in purpose. Acts 11, when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they shall continue with the Lord. These early Christians in Acts chapter 2, it talks about them being united in singleness of heart. They had a united purpose. The purpose was that of serving Christ and sharing His message and spreading that good news of the gospel. That's why when they were scattered from Jerusalem, you know what they did? Then those that were scattered, you remember it? Went everywhere preaching the gospel. That's right. They told it every... Now, they didn't have a meeting and say, okay, now, you better tell people when you go. Because they were just united in purpose. That's what mattered to them was that purpose of Jesus Christ. We're united in mind. We have one mind. We have one love. We have one purpose. 
and were united in faith. These people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer, and all the believers were together and had everything in common. That's the unity we're talking about right here, isn't it? Why? Because they were united in faith. Now, we'll talk more about this as the week goes on, but there's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and we're united in that faith. You know, I started out by saying, can you imagine what it would be like in the world if all Christians, everyone who claimed Christ, was united together? The truth is, there's some people who lie about being Christians. There's some people who claim they're Christians who aren't. And the truth is, Jesus said that He didn't come just to bring peace, but He came to bring a sword, and that there would be, of necessity, some division. That happens when we don't share the same faith. When we're not united together in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. You know, we'll talk more about this, but sometimes when I really care for someone, I'm tempted to compromise. You know what I mean? I'm tempted to let them have room that I really don't think is right, but you know, I I love them so much. We have that problem with our kids sometimes, don't we? Not holding them to a standard of God and His Word because we just feel for them so much. We must be united in faith. So why does this unity matter? We've seen some of the description of what it's like. Look at this. First of all, Jesus prayed for it. That should be enough to me to know that that matters to God and that He wants that, shouldn't it? If Jesus prayed for it, all of you who have, not all of you have children, but you've all been children, right? Okay, some of you still are. There are times you know what mom and dad want, but they haven't explicitly told you in explicit words exactly what they want, so you don't do what you know they want. Because, well, you, you said, and your exact words, dad, were blah, 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 blah. But you knew better than that, didn't you? We know what God wants. We know Jesus begged His Father for us to have unity. That should be enough of a reason and importance for you and I. But there are some practical importances. We are stronger together. Two are better than one, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him. And a threefold cord is not quickly broken. What that means is by yourself, you're not as strong as you are with other people. Guess who that's true of? Everyone in this building. That's true of you. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. There are only Christians who struggle like every other Christian to serve Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, you're stronger with other people. When we go to Nigeria, Jerry is our security guru. And one of the things he insists on, which I agree with, is don't go out by yourself anywhere. Why not? Because this 
You're by yourself. You're vulnerable. You go out in this world by yourself. You excommunicate yourself or you pull yourself away from the body of believers that is around you and strengthening you and helping you and you get off by yourself. You know what's going to happen to you? You will get drawn away. You will slip and fall. We are much stronger together than we are by ourselves. There's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this. And I really thought about getting a rod, but I didn't have a rod. And getting James or one of the young men to come up here and stand and hold up this rod and see how long they could hold that rod up like that. This story is of Moses. They were fighting a battle against Amalek, the enemy of God's people. And here's what happened. Now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, Choose us some men to go out and fight with Amalek. So they're going to have this battle. And Moses, the leader, grabs Joshua and says, You're the commander. Go get some guys and go fight. Defend us from our enemies. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So here's this battle going on. And you can see, if you can see down the picture, they've kind of drawn people fighting down there. And he goes up on this hill with this staff. Now this staff to Moses was an important item. Okay, it's what he had in his hand at the burning bush when God called him. It's what he used to touch the waters and turn them into blood in Egypt. It's what he used to hold over the Red Sea when it departed. It's the staff of the Lord. And he takes that out and he stands and he looks at those people in the fight and he lifts it up to God. And so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands became heavy, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. I don't know if you've ever tried just holding your arms out like this. But you can't for near as long as you would think you could. So he's holding up this rod, and they're winning, but... It's getting tiring, and and it's getting heavier and heavier, and his hands start to sink, and they start losing, and he lifts that rod back up. But you know, he's only going to be able to do that for so long. So what do they do? Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, so Joshua defeated Amalek and his people. You see, they got one guy on one side and another guy on the other side and they held his hands up and together they were able to overcome that obstacle and win that war. I want to tell you, I've experienced that. There are times when some of you have held up my hands. You need that. You need someone who will hold up your hands. You might go, I'm doing pretty good. You may be right now, but I'm telling you, it'll change like that. You can need help in a hurry. And you never know when it's going to happen. 
And if you don't make yourself a part of a body of people, I mean an integral part of that, so you have help when you need it, you may not survive the time you need someone to hold up your hands because you may not have that. Another thing is that division destroys. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. Now what had happened here is Jesus was casting out demons, and the Pharisees, knowing He was doing it by the power of the Holy Spirit, came, they looked at it, and they were trying to turn the people against Him, and they said, Well, He's casting out demons by the power of the devil. And Jesus basically says, now let's think about this, okay? Really? The devil's going to cast himself out? Does that make any sense? No, it doesn't. Why? Because every house that's divided against itself can't stand. I want to tell you something. Your marriage gets divided against itself. It won't stand. It will not stand. You get a church divided against itself, it will not stand. You get a nation divided against itself, it will not stand. That's the truth from the lips of Jesus. Division destroys. It destroys the strength and fiber because just like a threefold cord is not easily broken... When you divide and you break those cords apart and you separate themselves, they are easily broken. And where there's division, there will be a breaking. You know, here at this congregation, what year did you all start this congregation? Ty, do you remember? (laughs) You'd think that was a simple question, wouldn't you? (laughs) 1993. In 1992, there was no congregation like this here, right? In this part of the world. Didn't exist. It does now. Look around. You've got a fine congregation. Do you intend this congregation to be here in a hundred years? I hope so. I hope it's not just as long as your elders are here. And then it goes... Tell you the quickest way to destroy this congregation is have division. That's the quickest way to do it. I can tell you about churches that I've known of in my lifetime that don't even exist anymore because of division. Unity matters. It matters tremendously. Unity is the mark of a mature church. Paul said to the Ephesians, he said that Jesus gave you leadership to equip the saints until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. You want a mature church? Be unified. That's the goal. That's the purpose of the leadership that God gave And unity is an essential tool for our evangelistic mission. Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us. Why? That the world may believe that you sent me. You want the world to believe that God sent Jesus? You know, there's a lot of people who don't believe that. A lot of people in, are we technically in humble Conroe? 
Okay, we're in a county. That didn't work very well, did it? There's a lot of people in this county, whatever county it is, Montgomery County, that don't believe God sent Jesus. Did you know that's true? Do you think there are people within one square mile of this building who don't believe that God sent Jesus? It's okay to nod. Do you think there's people around here? What are we going to do to convince them? Well, one thing, it starts with unity. It starts with oneness. Singleness of mind, singleness of love, singleness of purpose, singleness of faith. That's where it starts to reaching out and convincing the world that Jesus Christ was sent by His Father. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Brothers and sisters, the world around you does not understand doctrine. They do not understand what's true and false biblically. They just don't. I teach in a private Christian school, and most of my students come from families whose whose family members are very involved in church. A lot of them are pastors. They don't have any idea about doctrine. You know what they do understand? Understand love. Everyone understands love. And Jesus said, they will know that you're my disciples if you love each other. And I guarantee you, you will convince them that fast that you're not if you don't love. So in closing, look at this passage. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Isn't that a beautiful description of the body of Christ? Isn't that fantastic? Wouldn't you love that to characterize you? Wouldn't you want to be this way? Wouldn't you want everyone here to be this way? We're going to talk this afternoon about specific steps that you can take to promote unity in the congregation. Things you can do in your life that will promote unity, that will promote this stronger together ideal that we're clinging to and focusing on this week. So let me ask you as we close, we're fixing to have an invitation song. Let me ask you this question. When you look around and you see the people here, look around for a minute. Everybody look around. Do you love the people you see? Yeah, everybody nod yes because that's what you're supposed to do. I want to ask you to look in your heart. Do you love these people? Do you really love these people? God's called you to that. God has lifted that up as the leading purpose in your life. You love Him and you love one another. 
And our goal this week is going to be to call you to that. And if you look around and you go, you know what? I like most of these people, but I don't really love all of them. I want to call you to repent of that, to change that. Now, it may be serious enough where you go, you know what? I haven't loved these people, and they know it because of the way I've acted, and I need to ask their forgiveness, and I want to make a new change. I want to start it now and, and focus on it all week long, and at the end of this week, I'm going to love everyone that I don't love right now. I hope so. If you need to ask for the prayers and forgiveness of the church, we offer you that. But just as important as that, you may be able to just make that noble resolve and repent and change that in your heart and your mind right now. If you don't love someone here, I ask you to repent of that and begin right now changing your heart toward the brothers and sisters in the Lord that you have. If we can assist you with that in any way, we ask you to come to the front while we stand and sing.